Hello, Vision Nation. You might know of Barbara Corcoran as the high-energy blonde lady on Shark Tank, but she's so much more than that. She grew up in a family of 10 children. They didn't have a lot of money, and to top it all off, she was dyslexic. Talk about having the odds set against you. She overcame all that and even outmaneuvered Donald Trump as she climbed to the top of the New York real estate market. It's an amazing story of persistence leading to success. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Wall Street Vision. This show is on true stories about people making millions. I'm your host, Vlad Dolgochev. The show is for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. Check out the show notes for the full disclaimer. So Barbara grew up in the 50s in a little town called Edgewater. This was next to Manhattan, across the Hudson River. She could see the big skyscrapers across the water, but that rich world seemed like it was a million miles away. Instead of living that lavish New York life, her huge family was crammed into a tiny rental. Barbara and her five sisters shared one bedroom, her four brothers shared another, and her parents slept on a busted-up vinyl couch in the living room. That sounds like a terrible living situation, but it was a happy childhood. The kids didn't have a lot, but they made do and always found ways to entertain themselves. Now, school wasn't easy for Barbara. She's dyslexic, and going to class in the 50s, they didn't really understand learning disorders. If you couldn't read at your grade level, people just thought that you were dumb, and they assumed that you'd never amount to anything. And to make things worse, her teacher would say stuff like, Barbara Ann, if you don't learn to pay attention, you'll always be stupid. These were the days of teachers using rulers to beat the heck out of their students. It was a different era. If a teacher did any of that stuff today, they'd get crucified online. But back then, that sort of thing was par for the course. Looking at her childhood, you couldn't really pinpoint to anything that would tell you that she'd become a huge success. I mean, a dyslexic kid from a poor family doesn't really scream out massive achiever, right? But Barbara had this inner drive and ability to deal with rejection without losing enthusiasm. This girl would fail at tests, jobs, and cheerleading tryouts, and none of that would stop her positive attitude. That skill would make a huge difference later in her life. By the time she turned 23, she went through two dozen different jobs. One of these jobs was working as a waitress at a diner and one of her customers happened to be this guy named Ray. Ray was a real estate developer. He was 10 years older than Barbara, and he was already divorced with three daughters. Surprisingly, none of that was a deal-breaker for her, and they started dating. A few months into their relationship, Ray tried to convince her to move to Manhattan. Barbara's mom was stunned. She didn't really like Ray, and she was against this idea. I get it, that's a big age gap since Barbara was in her early 20s. But Barbara had made up her mind. Ray had some money, and he drove this yellow Lincoln. All of this was a far cry from the Corcoran family's cramped house and beat-up station wagon. 
Ray seemed like a lifeline that would lead to those skyscrapers across the water. She decided to go for it. After moving to Manhattan, she had to get a job. She put on her best outfit and applied to be a receptionist at Jifuni Brothers. This was a small real estate player that owned a dozen buildings in Manhattan and Brooklyn. By this point, she'd had over 20 different jobs throughout her life, so she had a lot of real-life experience and she knew how to talk to people. Even though she didn't do well at school, she had a lot of street smarts and made a great impression in the interview. She got the job offer that same day. That job taught her a lot about real estate. After some time working there, she started to think that maybe her and Ray should set up a little real estate business themselves. Barbara figured that she could work as a broker renting and selling houses for clients, and she could start out by setting up a home office so that her overhead would be minimal. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Ray loaned Barbara around $6,000 in startup capital. It was meant to pay for office supplies and advertising costs. And in return, he owned 51% of the business to Barbara's 49%. The plan was for Ray to continue building houses and for Barbara to run their real estate brokerage they just started. She convinced her old boss at Jifuni Brothers to let her rent out one of his apartments. If Barbara could find him a good tenant, the commission would be one month's rent. Now this is all happening in the 70s before people could just post listings online. So she looked through the Sunday classifieds and saw over a thousand apartments advertised. She was studying the market to figure out how she could pitch her listing in a unique way. After doing all her due diligence, she called up the landlord and told him, I have a way for you to get an additional $200 per month for that apartment. The issue with that apartment is that it doesn't have anything that makes it unique. But if we put up a wall separating the living room from the dining area, that would make it stand out and we can market it as a one bedroom plus den. The classifieds at the time didn't really have any listings like that, so it was a clear differentiator. And in business, you want your product to stand out from the competition. And then you can charge more. The landlord loved the idea so much that he added a den by installing some drywall that same day. Barbara ran her ad, and it stood out from the rest of the classifieds and she immediately got a huge response. People were drawn to the apartment and a few days later she rented it out. She got her first commission check for 2100 bucks. She had the check in her hand and a big smile on her face and she had to figure out what to do with the money. Should she reinvest it into the business? Should she buy more advertising? Maybe spend it on office equipment? Not even close! She went down to Bergdorf Goodman's to buy herself the fanciest coat she could get her hands on. She bought this brown and white herringbone pattern hide with a mandarin collar and a pair of matching cuffs. $2,000 later, she waltzed out of there looking like a power broker. That coat became her signature piece and she never took it off. It made her feel successful. She had this fancy coat and she worked from her home office in her apartment. 
so she'd have lots of clients coming in and out of there all day long. Then one day she got a piece of mail that looked a little odd. She opened it and it was an eviction notice. Barbara was shocked. She always paid her rent on time, so this was a big surprise. She ran to her landlord and told him there must be some sort of mistake. And this guy turns to her and says, Mrs. Corcoran, you're a very young lady and you're wearing this expensive coat and you have lots of men coming and going from your apartment. Hmm. The guy was insinuating that she was working as a woman of the night. And Barbara just burst out into laughter. She explained that, no, she's not a sex worker and that she's a real estate agent. The whole situation de-escalated quickly and they got talking about the real estate market. And next thing you know, Barbara convinced him to let her rent out some of his units. Business was booming and soon enough her office had 14 agents. Now Ray had three daughters from a prior marriage and Barbara was kind of filling in the stepmom role, even though she was more of an older sister to his kids because of the age gap. One day, Ray came into the house and said, Barb, we need to talk. Those four words never lead to anything good. Barbara was in the kitchen preparing some spaghetti for the whole family, and this guy rolls up all suave and tells her, Listen, I'm going to marry Tina. Tina was Barbara's secretary. Barbara's hands went limp, and she dropped the spaghetti in the sink. In that moment, she felt pure betrayal. She just muttered to herself, I don't understand. Ray shifted around on his feet and said, I guess you should start looking for an apartment. Can you believe this guy? He was acting so casual, like he was ordering a quesadilla at Chili's. What a grade A jerk. The breakup wasn't so easy because they were partners in the business. Barbara wanted to fire Tina. Totally understandable. How can you expect to work in an office with a person your partner cheated on you with? Barbara talked to Ray about getting rid of her, and he shut that down. He said that he owned 51% of the shares in the company, so Barbara couldn't fire anyone without his blessing. That was very painful. Now, seeing Barbara as the successful businesswoman she is today, You'd think that she said, screw you, Ray, and went off on her own. But that's not what happened. She kept working there for a full year and a half before having the courage to go out and do the business solo. Can you imagine how rough it would have been going into the office every day and seeing the woman who seduced your former partner? Yuck! Time passed and she finally mustered up the courage to take the next career step. She walked up to Ray and told him that they need to split up their business. They agreed that each of them would get half of the sales staff and Barbara would lease another office. It seemed to be fairly amicable until they shook hands for the last time. Ray turned to her and said, You know what, Barb? You're never going to succeed without me that moment, Barbara vowed to herself that she would rather die than fail. That's the type of moment that will burn into your subconscious and light a fire in the belly like nobody's business. 
Later in her career, when things got tough, she could think back on this moment and do whatever was necessary to keep going. This was in the late 70s, and Barbara was 29 years old and finally had her own business free and clear of anyone else. She called it the Corcoran Group. It was quite a grind that she went through. She'd start her day in the office making calls at 8.30 in the morning, and she'd have a few meetings with the salespeople after that. By 11 a.m., she would go to showings. At 6.30 at night, she'd head back to the office to return calls and set up sales appointments for the next day. And then she'd get home at 8 o'clock at night, too exhausted to do anything else. Rinse and repeat, week after week, month after month, grinding it out. Her first big marketing success came when she hired a PR person. They recommended that Barbara should come up with some marketing to differentiate her from all the other brokerages. So they came up with a plan to make a report. They called it the Corcoran Report. Barbara would use her sales data to show stats like the average sale prices of condos in New York. You gotta remember that this was before you could look up listing information online. So the info that they had at the brokerage was actually very valuable because a person on the street couldn't have access to that data. She sent this report to every reporter she could find. Sure enough, a little while later, she scanned the New York Times and saw them quoting her report. She couldn't believe it. That really raised people's awareness for the Corcoran Group. Barbara was great at thinking outside the box to get her name out there. Another great PR move that she did was when Barbara read that Madonna was pregnant and looking for a new apartment. Barbara sent out a one-page list to different news shows. The list had what Madonna might look for in an ideal condo. You know, stuff like good security, more space, and a bunch of amenities. Well, within a few hours, Barbara was sitting at the CNN studio getting interviewed about this. They introduced her as the broker to the stars. Madonna wasn't her client, and Barbara actually hadn't dealt with any celebrities before. But that segment helped them land their first celebrity, Richard Gere. Little wins like that helped propel the Corcoran Group. Barbara's first interaction with Donald Trump happened when she wrote up the Corcoran Report on the top 10 most expensive condo buildings in New York. This was back when Trump was a big real estate developer. Trump had just finished building the Trump Tower and he pitched it as being the most expensive address anywhere in the world. It's funny how that was a selling point. Most times being the most expensive is not a good thing, but not in New York City. So Barbara crunched the numbers and it looked like his condo building was not the most expensive at all. It was in fourth place. She sent him the press release before sending it to the media. Trump called her within an hour to set up a meeting. He was not a happy camper seeing his condo building in fourth place. Barbara went into his huge penthouse office overlooking Central Park. Trump was sitting behind this massive desk. He was agitated by the report. But Barbara was prepared. They worked through all the numbers together and she showed him that her report was accurate. 
Trump called a bunch of different people into his office so they could prove her wrong. But Barbara was countering his every move with facts and figures. Just when his agitation was reaching a boiling point, Barbara told him, Now wait a minute, what if we look at the data on a per square foot basis instead of the average sales price? She had all this prepared in her mind ahead of time, so she rattled off some numbers off the top of her head and said, Well, that would make Trump Tower the most expensive address after all. Donald was all smiles after that, and the next day there was a big spread in the newspaper claiming that Trump Tower is the most expensive address. The paper credited Barbara's company and she got some good PR out of it. A lot of time when you see a successful person, you don't hear about the failures they had along the way, but they're always there. You can't achieve great things if you're not willing to fail. Here's a good example from Barbara's life. At a time when she had an office staff of over 50 people and she was doing really well business-wise, she had this public speaking engagement in front of an audience of 800 people. This was by far the biggest crowd that she ever spoke in front of. She had her little speech ready on her cue cards. The moderator introduced her to applause from the crowd. Then, when she got on the stage, she froze in a panic and she just couldn't say anything. She couldn't get a single word out. It was extremely embarrassing because here's this big name CEO of a real estate firm and she can't utter a single word. She just pointed to her mouth and shook her head and walked back to her seat. How humiliating. Being the president of a 50-person firm and to have such an embarrassing public moment. If most people had an experience like that, they'd probably quit public speaking forever. But Barbara knew she had to overcome that setback, since in business, she would be doing a lot of PR stuff. So what did she do? She enrolled to teach a real estate course at NYU so that she'd become more comfortable with speaking in front of big groups. She taught classes for five years straight, and not only did that help her get better at public speaking, but it also allowed her to make some connections with amazing real estate agents that she hired for her firm. Now, being an entrepreneur sounds very cool, but there are so many hard times to deal with. In 1987, the stock market crashed on Black Monday, and that pulled the whole economy into a tailspin, and it kept on getting worse. People weren't buying houses anymore, and the Corcoran Group's commissions were down. Barbara spent a year and a half begging creditors for more time to pay their bills. The payables were piling up and revenue was taking a big hit. Barbara had to prioritize. She made sure to pay all the office rent and payroll on time, but she still owed several hundred thousand dollars for stuff like office supplies, equipment leases, and insurance. She had a credit line with Citibank, but when she tried to access it, the bank refused to lend them more money. Her banker just said, credit lines are for businesses that don't need credit and tough luck. Ouch. Things got so bad that Barbara had to sell her condo and get a mortgage on her country house. She used that money to pay back some of the business debts. She also moved into this tiny roach infested apartment 
Now here's the chief executive of the firm and she's willing to do that to make sure the business survives. Amazing courage. But she didn't just do that. She also went out and got a job as a sales manager for a property developer. They agreed on a salary of around $500,000. She planned to use half the money to pay someone else to do the CEO job full time because she wouldn't be around as much and then she used the other half to pay back all the business debts. Things weren't looking good. This was December 1990 and Barbara was thinking of shutting down the business for good. She didn't want to do it before Christmas, so her plan was to tell the whole staff that they were bust after the holidays. Maybe Ray was right after all. Maybe she couldn't succeed without him. Then came this interesting opportunity. She heard of these buildings that were semi-finished and they had high maintenance fees. Some of the apartments weren't fully finished, and that made it so much harder for buyers to get mortgages. Prices in New York plummeted by 40% since the Black Monday stock crash, and lots of buyers were on the sidelines waiting because they figured if they'd wait, they'll be able to get better deals. These buildings had apartments listed for three years and they didn't get any offers. Barbara figured out this plan. She realized that if they get enough buzz and create a buying frenzy, they would probably sell all the inventory. They needed some old-school marketing hype, so they decided to market a one-day sales extravaganza. They wanted to keep the whole process as streamlined as possible, so they priced all the studio apartments at $100,000, all the one-bedrooms at $200,000, and all the two-bedrooms at $350,000. It didn't matter what view the place had, what neighborhood it was in, all the units were priced the same so that they could sell a huge volume of them in one day. To sweeten the deal, Barbara negotiated with a bank to provide the mortgages for any buyers. And on top of that, there would be no maintenance fees for two years. Barbara drew up 88 contracts for all the units. The buyers would have to sign them that same day. All the units were spread out in six separate buildings, and each customer would be limited to buying only one unit. There was so much buzz leading up to the day of the sale. When the day finally came, there was a huge lineup of people wanting to buy. There were buyers that flew in from Europe, and people were rushing around town to all these buildings to get the best possible unit. Some people were even buying apartments without seeing them in person. This is a similar strategy to what home builders still use today. When you see a developer offer their houses for sale and there's massive lineups of people outside their offices, of course they could do it all by appointment and avoid the massive lineups. But the reason they do it is because it's a psychological trick that's meant to pressure people into buying a place. When there's a huge crowd of people and there's only a few units available for sale, the brain kicks into scarcity mode and logic flies out the window. By the end of that huge sales day, Barbara's company netted more than a million dollars in commissions. It was like a glass of water after a handful of salt. Barbara's cunning tactics helped save her business. Then came this huge business deal. One of Barbara's agents had a client in Hong Kong. 
Barbara had another agent who worked with Donald Trump on selling a bunch of his condos. The idea was to connect the Hong Kong buyers with Donald Trump, sell them Donald's hotel, and for the Corcoran group to make the commission on the buy and sell side of the deal. They all got together for a private dinner, and they were discussing the deal, and Barbara turns to her agent and says, Okay, can you give me the commission agreement so we can firm this up? And the agent was like, Oh, I uh, don't have one. Barbara was in disbelief. Donald Trump was saying, No, don't worry about it. We all know each other here. But Barbara pushed for it, so she grabbed a paper doily, the paper thing that fancy meals are served on top of, right? And she scribbled an agreement on it. She wanted a 3% commission, and she had Donald Trump sign it on the spot. That was a good move, because without it, Trump could have easily reneged on their deal. Those are the types of street smarts that Barbara had that really helped her win in business. It took five and a half months, 19 meetings, and two trips to Hong Kong before the deal finally closed. It was a huge win for the Corcoran Group, as they netted something like $4 million on that one transaction. A little while later, there was this article that came out, and it talked about how Donald Trump almost went bankrupt. A few of Barbara's agents talked to the reporters about some of the stuff that went in the paper, and Trump was really upset at that. He called Barbara and barked at her. How could you let them speak to the press? Are you not keeping your girls in check over there? Barbara shrugged it off and said that the article actually made him look good. If you know anything about Donald Trump, he's not going to let something like this slide. So he stopped sending the commission checks. Instead, he sent a summons letter claiming breach of contract. Barbara had to lawyer up big time for this. Her $4 million was at stake and she didn't want to take any chances. In the lawsuit, Donald claimed that they breached the contract because of the info they provided to the press. Now, the Corcoran group claimed that everything their agents said was already public knowledge because Donald had said it to reporters before the Corcoran group ever spoke to the press. Barbara's lawyer had these big five-foot posters printed out with Trump's quotes and the dates that he said each quote. This was proof that Trump openly talked about all this stuff and that the Corcoran group did nothing wrong. It was a slam dunk for Barbara, and the judge was even quoted as saying that this case was all about a bruised ego. Barbara won and got her four million, and she's also sent Trump a bouquet of flowers on the anniversary of that date every year to remind him not to mess with her. What a power woman. Her business kept on growing, and by 1997, the Corcoran Group was doing $2 billion in real estate sales per year. They had 12 offices. She started to explore the idea of selling the business, and by 2001, she sold her company for $66 million. Barbara bought her parents a beachfront penthouse and wrote her first book. Ray was wrong. She could succeed without him, and she did it in a huge way. All right, Vision Nation, that wraps it up for this episode. If you're a new listener and you've enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. 
If you'd like to support our show, you can give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you know someone who's interested in stories about people making millions, please share this episode with them. Thank you, and I hope you have an amazing day. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. I may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. This show is copyrighted by Wall Street Vision. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.